0: Hey everyone, Rick Cole here and you're listening to the 50 Years Ago in Hockey Podcast. Each week we come to you from the southern end of the beautiful Niagara region of Ontario and we take you on a trip down memory lane back 50 years where we discuss all the hockey news from that period in time. In this week's episode, we're looking at December 6th to 13th, 1970. Our podcast is made possible by the support of our two sponsors. Newspapers.com is the world's largest online newspaper archive. Their support's been crucial in our research for this project. Uh, they enable us to get back to all the news 50 years ago and find the great uh, items that we're able to present to you. We're also sponsored by the Breakwall Brewing Company in beautiful downtown Port Colborne, Ontario, just steps from the Welland Canal and Lake Erie. The folks at the Breakwall produce some of the finest craft beers in ontario and they've got some of the best pub food on the planet as well when things get uh, back to somewhat normal i'd love to meet any of our listeners for a beer and a burger at the break wall we also like to remind you about our new patreon account uh, that's a spot where we hope uh subscribers will donate to our project uh, helps us keep the lights on and do a little more research and in return we provide early access to each week's podcast and also some bonus content available exclusively to the patreon subscribers you can find that to uh, donate at patreon.com slash hockey 50 years and we appreciate all the support that we've received so far last week uh, we had a pretty interesting week Again, it seems like every week is interesting in this crazy 1970-71 season. Uh, we talked about Andre Lacroix of the Philadelphia Flyers having a big game against the Vancouver Canucks after being benched the night before for no particularly good reason. Uh, the ongoing saga of the coaching regime of Montreal's Quad uh came to a head last week until uh finally on Thursday. Uh, he was removed from his position and replaced by assistant coach Al McNeil. And there was news out of Toronto about an impending shakeup up in the management structure of the Maple Leafs at the upper, upper levels. Uh, that was to take place in an upcoming board meeting Uh, December 17th is when they were going to hold it, at which time Harold Ballard and Stafford Smythe would formally be returned to their executive positions at the Garden's. In a very newsworthy week, very busy week again in the NHL this time around, Uh, we have a few other stories. The uh, first one, the Stanley Cup and two other trophies were stolen from the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto, and we have what details were available as uh, this week unfolded 50 years ago. Uh, The Maple Leafs complained to National Hockey League President Clarence Campbell about a newspaper column written by Himlack, a syndicated column in the Toronto Telegram. Uh, we'll tell you how that little protest turned out. And Red Wings goalie Roy Edwards suffered a very serious injury that could lead to the Red Wings looking to trade for a number one netminder. Roy's career at this point was thought to be uh, perilously in doubt. A lot of news this week, but first up, we'll get to some of the more interesting games that we found this time around. Our our first game report this week is from a Sunday night contest between the Buffalo Sabres and the Minnesota North Stars at the Odd in Buffalo. Now, uh, an initial look, you'd say a Minnesota-Buffalo game in 1970. What could be interesting about that? Well, Goalie Roger Crozier of the Sabres was the story in this game as he earned his first shutout of the season with a stirring performance. And if you went to many of those games in that first season, and I did make it to quite a few, uh, Crozier was the story on most nights, and this night he was the entire story as Buffalo Edge, Minnesota, by a score of 1-0. While for the Sabres it was the first shutout of the season, for Roger Crozier, it was the first shout-out of the season. It was actually a very nice anniversary, uh, wedding anniversary gift for George and Dodo Imlach, who were celebrating a big day that day. And for Ronald Chester Goings Anderson, it was his second goal of the season and his second winning goal, and that's pretty good percentage for a fellow named Ron Anderson. Anderson's goal came in the second minute of the first period before a crowd of 8,714 at the odd. Now remember the odd held somewhere between uh, 9,900 and 10,000 in these days. So that wasn't a capacity crowd, but it was uh, a decent for a team like Minnesota. Uh, We thank Charlie Barton for a lot of the facts that we've got in this report. And he reported that if you were a purist for the game of hockey... This contest was something less of a classic, but there was a brilliant defensive stand inside the Minnesota Blue Line by the Sabres in the closing 63 seconds and as we said, both Crozier and Minnesota goalie Gump Worsley put on a fine net-minding display, and if you're like me, a goaltender, and you saw these two guys in a game like this, you had to appreciate the show that those two veterans put on. The win for Buffalo broke off a five-game winless streak for the Sabres. They had lost two and tied three in their last five contests. It was their fifth win of the season, and the third time they had come out on top in a home game. The loss was the second within 24 hours for the North Stars who seem to be having their problems right now. They dropped the 4-1 verdict to the Chicago Blackhawks on Saturday evening at their home rink in Bloomington, Minnesota. Now Crozier and Worsley as we mentioned were the commanding figures in this game. Crozier made 24 stops and Worsley kicked out 21 Buffalo drives. Worsley work was more demanding and Crozier was aided again by what is starting to become a very decent Uh, defensive core for the Sabres. Uh, That was their big problem. Uh, Every expansion team has problems scoring goals but the Sabres were giving up an enormous amount of shots every night that Crozier had to face and for him to have only make 24 saves in this one and not many of them of the difficult variety was a step in the right direction for the fledgling Buffalo franchise. Referee Bill Friday one of the NHL's best and I got to say one with a lot of personality. I met Bill at a society for international hockey research meeting quite a few years ago and he swapped some wonderful stories about his days in the nhl really really a great guy well friday imposed only five penalties in in the game it was a close checking affair but the checking was clean and really there wasn't a lot of clutching and grabbing uh the penalties were three to the sabers but none of these figured in the uh the scoring either way. For some reason, neither team was able to find uh, its legs. It was a very choppy affair, and it was a slow-motion game most of the way, which is why you could never say this was a classic. It wasn't any... Uh, game that would feature the fire wagon hockey of say the montreal Canadiens of the 70s crozier spoke with reporters after the game and, and he actually was almost embarrassed he said i had an easy game the way the team played in front of me our guys were moving the puck out of our end real well and we played well going both ways ron anderson also uh spoke to reporters after the game and Ron uh, to his credit is, is kind of a fringe player in the NHL he's always been right on the bubble first uh, uh in the I think he was in the Rangers organization and then of course with the Blues he came to Buffalo uh just before the season started and when they asked him about scoring the game's only goal big smile on his face and he says I'm just a natural scorer when they count everybody got a chuckle out of that knowing that Ron is never going to lead the National Hockey League in goals and as we mentioned the uh, game was the wedding anniversary for Punch and Dodo imlac, and after the game Mrs. Imlac had a kiss and a hug for her husband the coach and general manager of the Sabres and she said thanks for the anniversary gifts hubby both of them. I really appreciate the win. It's so important to the team. She did not mention what the other gift was however. Punch himself praised the Sabres improved defensive play and he said I hope that this is the first of many shutouts to come. Punch went on to say that this shutout couldn't have come at a better time and that They even got some snow in time for Christmas, which will make it a white Christmas. I don't know how much time Punch spent in Buffalo in the past, but he's going to learn that snow is something that is not uncommon in the city of Buffalo during the winter. (laughs) Now, there have been some complaints around the NHL recently from teams going into Buffalo about the ice in Memorial Auditorium. Well, Punch addressed that uh, after the game in his press conference as well, saying, I understand there have been some complaints about the ice here. Well, we play on it uh, 39 times, and we might as well take advantage of any problems there might be. Uh, We've been doing okay at home, and the ice works the same for both teams. North Stars coach Jackie Gordon did have some comments after the game. Jackie always has some pretty intelligent and interesting comments, and he offered no alibis for the North Stars. He said, we're not scoring. Uh, One goal in two nights is evidence enough that we can't put the puck in the net. We weren't skating, and Charlie Burns, of all people, had Minnesota's only good scoring chance. Uh, Jackie said, we had nothing dangerous aside from the chance by Burns. Gordon went on to say that the in Memorial Auditorium is brutal. He said, I know other teams have complained and that it's the same for both clubs, but it still spoils the game for the fans. And isn't that really the bottom line in a hockey game in the NHL? Even though Anderson scored early in the first period, the Sabres almost took the lead before that. Right from the opening faceoff, defenseman Jim Watson fired a long drive at Gump Worsley in the North Stars net. He juggled it and he grabbed it a split second before it would have trickled over the goal line for the first goal of the game. Right after that, The Sabres did get their goal. Murray Oliver and Barry Gibbs, two of the North Stars players, Murray a forward, Barry a defenseman, collided inside the Minnesota blue line and the Sabres' uh, classy center Phil Goyette grabbed up the loose puck to set up Anderson's goal. Goyette passed to Don Marshall in the corner and Marshall relayed to Anderson in front and he made a half turn and made no mistake to score the only goal of the game at 149 of the first period. The North Stars uh, continued to try and beat Crozier. They couldn't do it, and finally, in the final minute, uh, having really charged at the Buffalo net. Coach Jackie Gordon beckoned Worsley to to the uh, Minnesota bench for an extra attacker. Gump was only able to make it to the blue line and the Sabres kept finding a way to get the puck out of the zone and back around center ice and Gump was never able to get any further. Then the blue line towards the Minnesota net. The Sabres hung on and they took a, a well-earned, although not artistically uh, classic, one nothing victory over the North Stars in Buffalo. Our next featured game was from Tuesday evening in Pittsburgh, where the uh, matchup between the Toronto Maple Leafs and Pittsburgh Penguins ended up being one of the highlight games for the Penguins from the 70-71 season. Pittsburgh blank Toronto 4-0 behind the standout net minding of former Maple Leafs goalie Al Smith. Now the Penguins would make news later in the week, uh, you know that this franchise is having tons of trouble and we'll talk about a little later a buyer that may be servicing to finally give the Penguins an infusion of much-needed cash and maybe some stability in the ownership suite as well. After the 4-0 shutout, manager coach Red Kelly of the Penguins, a former Maple Leaf himself and one of the great ones, stood outside the dressing room and all he had to say was that was Al Smith's game all his. He really wanted that win over the Leafs and played a hot hand in goal to, sh- to earn that shutout. He made a number of big saves, Kelly said, because they had a few pretty good chances at him. Inside the Pittsburgh dressing room, uh, Al Smith, uh, long hair drooped around his shoulders, uh, actually did a bit of a victory jig, and he roared hot damn. I've waited two years for this night. Ever since the Leafs dropped me in the NHL draft to claim Marv Edwards from the Penguins, and am I ever glad they did. I've never enjoyed anything as much as I did this win tonight. Now, I don't care if those guys scored 200 goals in the other games this season, I've had my inning tonight. Even the crowd of 7,034 stuck around after the game and was chanting, we want Smith, we want Smith. Uh, Really interesting, uh, really interesting... uh Reaction, I guess you could say from the Pittsburgh fans who sort of those that show up are are passionate about the team. And you would think a a good drawing team like Toronto, even though they're having a bad season, would get you more than just over 7,000 fans. But I think that's just a sign of how little faith that the Pittsburgh faithful have in the, in the, uh, management. Uh, of the Penguins so far and that comes from ownership because Red Kelly is doing a good job as good a job as he can with this team there are other former Maple Leaf uh, prospects and players on this Pittsburgh club who enjoyed this win equally they are Nick Harbrook Jim Morrison Brian Hextall Andy Bathgate Dwayne Rupp and Wally Boyer and they all agreed that they couldn't enjoy a shutout against any other team anymore Then they did this one. Hextall said, I saw it, but I don't believe it. The Leaf team played dead after we took the one goal lead. Those players have got to be playing better hockey than that. Hextall went on to say that he couldn't understand why the younger uh, Leafs are, are not running at guys that are taking liberties with the own players. Hextall said that uh, the only solid guys on the team were the old ones. Davey Keon, the Chief George Armstrong, Bobby Bond, Normie Ullman, and of course the old man and goal, Jacques Plante. They acted like they cared, but the young guys didn't seem to know that that's what it takes to win. Now to be fair to some of the young guys, Rick Lee, Mike Mike Pellick and Daryl Sittler all played as well as they could given the uh, circumstances of the evening and they did look like they wanted this game very badly but there just weren't too many passengers on the Toronto Club on this night and that's why they, they put on a very poor show at the Civic Arena in Pittsburgh. The three stars on this night were of course Smith, rookie left winger Greg polis and val fontaine the much traveled veteran who put on a an excellent display of veteran savvy in uh, disrupting just about every leaf foray into the pittsburgh zone when he was on the ice val is one of the absolute best defensive forwards not only right now in the nhl but probably in the history of the league and he's a very swift skater as well polis was easily the best of the penguins other than smith and he had a goal and two assists and is starting to look like the uh, a worthy first round draft pick Which the Penguins made him last year He's not going to be any Gilbert Perot or Dale Talon But the kid has some talent And uh, the Penguins badly need it After losing their budding superstar Michelle Brier in that terrible Car accident last June But all in all it was a good night In Pittsburgh for the Penguins And they come away full value For their 4-0 win over the Maple Leafs And our third featured game this week is one you might expect we would look at in any other year except 70-71, a matchup between the rivals, the Maple Leafs and the Canadians at Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto. And after them playing so poorly Tuesday night in Pittsburgh, the Leafs didn't look like at all the same club. In fact, you would have thought they brought in 20 new players as they went out and blanked the Canadians for nothing Right in Maple Leaf Gardens, beating the Habs, new coach and all. The game really looked like a, a, a contest between two rivals. Lots of fights, and in fact, at least thirty-one hundred dollars in fines will be paid to the National Hockey League bank account as a result of all the uh, Donny Brooks that took place during this one. Dave Keon, Billy McMillan, Gary Monahan, and George Armstrong scored the goals for the Leafs, and Portly Bruce Gamble earned the shutout, but the hockey it became almost incidental to the dropping of the gloves and the punching on the ice. In one first period incident, all of the players of both teams except Leafs backup goalie Jacques Plante left the benches. The result of that fracas was 120 or sorry, 102 minutes of penalties assessed by referee Bill Friday. There's Bill Friday's name again. The total penalty minutes for the first period was 130 compared with the record of 184 minutes in one period set in another game between Montreal and Toronto on the corresponding date in 1953 the final amount of money to the players uh, will be determined by a hearing that Clarence Campbell is going to have, or at least his reading of the referee's report, at the very minimum. Players are fined at least $100 each for leaving the bench and that's an increase over previous years and Campbell if he wants can add to that amount and he just might the tone of the game was established up pretty early when John Ferguson charged into Billy McMillan and of course Fergie did what he usually does he cross-checked him to the ice McMillan had inadvertently hit uh, Ferguson over the back of the head with his stick and Ferguson of course was seeking revenge inadvertent or not Fergie doesn't let something like that pass unnoticed Friday called only a minor charging penalty on Ferguson although the rule book calls for a major when there's an obvious intent to injure and if you saw what happened in that uh, uh, play Fergie meant to hurt him and hurt him bad. McMillan lay on the ice seemingly unconscious for several minutes and the Leafs however did not threaten any immediate retaliation. Some would say that's a major problem with this Toronto club. Well later at fourteen twenty seven of the first, Daryl Settler and Bill Collins collided behind the Montreal goal, and soon all the players were on the ice uh, milling around in heaps, uh, hanging onto each other's sweaters, and generally making it look like a very awkward high school dance. Montreal goalie Phil Meir was on top of one of the piles of players, which included Davey Keon, Jim Harrison, and Mark Tardif. The crowd cheered as Gamble left his goal. He lumbered down the ice, and if you've seen Bruce Gamble uh, skate, lumbering would be the only way to describe it. Uh, he just piled on top of me as if it was what we used to call the goose piles in in public school ferguson was the first player to lead the montreal bench and he was followed by jim dory of the leafs then all the players but plant streamed into the action while the montreal training staff threw all available sticks on the ice for whatever reason i really have no idea there were no clear decisions in any of the fights in this game, except for one. Brian Spencer earned the only uh, real victory of the night when he engaged in a battle in the second period with Montreal defenseman Terry Harper. Terry didn't win a lot of fights in his career. Uh, he was no slouch shop, but he always showed up, and uh, the younger Spencer got the better of Terry on this night. Spencer looked like he was about to engage in a second fight late in the game when he and Phil Roberto squared off but others intervened cooler heads prevailed and there was no bout to be had with those two. The total penalty minutes for the game totaled 179 with Montreal receiving 45 minutes in minors and majors and six 10-minute misconducts. The Leafs, comparatively angelic to the Canadians in this one, were caught for 44 minutes in minors and majors, and they only had three misconducts. The record for a game is 204 minutes, which was set in that 1953 game between the Leafs and the Canadians. Dan Proudfoot of the Toronto Globe and Mail may have described this game best. He said it was the type of entertainment that a father might like his pee wee son to witness in order to learn as many infractions as possible in 60 minutes of so-called hockey. With four Canadians sentenced in the penalty bench at one time, one of them had to sit on the stairs between the red seats. There's no uh, partitions or protection for players in the penalty box at Maple Leaf Gardens in 1970. By the way, the Leafs had, had brought Spencer up before the game Uh, because they were without Guy Trache, who'd been injured the night before in Pittsburgh on a check from Greg Polis. Well in the first period Paul Henderson took a puck uh, in the jaw and of course Mike Walton was out of the lineup already so Spencer got a lot of unexpected ice time and that's why he was around for one fight and almost another. Spencer had 14 points and 98 minutes in penalties in Tulsa in the Central League so far this season and he arrived just minutes. Before the game uh, He was expected to be tired And they really uh, didn't expect to use Brian Too much until Henderson got hurt But he quickly showed he was ready For anything and especially Ready for Terry Harper Jim Dory, who missed the previous three games with the flu, left uh, his sickbed and he came out and played regularly on the blue line uh, for the Leafs. He also fought Claude LaRose in the first bout of the game and ended up on top of that as it kind of uh, devolved into a wrestling match rather than an actual boxing contest. Canadians coach Al McNeil was uh, a little worried about the Leafs going into this game and uh, because they had played so poorly in Pittsburgh. He said that he had warned his players that they could expect the Leafs to be fired up fighting for the lives after the Pittsburgh fiasco. They have the talent to beat any club in the NHL, McNeil said, on any given night. They had the talent in this one, and we weren't up for it. McNeil uh, is a a refreshing change from Claude Ruel, former coach of the Canadiens, and Dan Proudfoot acknowledged that. When he said of McNeil's post-game press conference, it was a pleasure to talk to a coach who could discuss a game in which his team had been bombed on the score sheet, taken part in a wild free-for-all, and drawn six misconduct sentences without losing his cool and lashing out at the officials. McNeil's assessment of the game was, was very succinct. He said, I was surprised the Leafs accelerated their pace after that first period mess usually that kind of brawl slows down both clubs and if you watch hockey in the 60s and 70s that was often the case Uh, Al said it takes so long to sort out the players and assess the penalties that you lose any momentum you might have had and he said that didn't happen to the Leafs they kept on getting better Well, Leafs uh, executive King Clancy probably summed up the game the best of anyone when describing the Canadiens. He said, they're not the same team we used to play against anymore. We hit them a little and they just wilted. Well, let's look at the considerable amount of news that that emanated from the NHL this week. And we begin uh, our reports with... uh, A story that had everyone's attention as the week began, and that was a break-in at the Hockey Hall of Fame located on the Canadian National Exhibition Grounds in Toronto on the weekend, early Saturday morning thieves somehow circumvented the building's alarm system. Dick Beddows of the Toronto Globe and Mail had some comments that we thought we'd pass along to you about this incident. Beddows wrote there are no more comical thieves in the world today than those chaps who periodically heist hardware from the Hockey Hall of Fame. The men for women's of mystery struck again last weekend, snatching the Conn Smythe Trophy, the William Masterton Trophy, and the Stanley Cup, then withdrawing into a state of namelessness as thick as the fogs of Newfoundland. Bedos continues, is the Stone of Scone safe? Are the crown jewels locked up? Quick, put a 24-hour guard on the logging chain Mayor Dennison wears as his great seal of office. It's apparent that the security at Hockey's Museum of Muscle down here in Toronto's lakefront is as relaxed as old Greenback Downs. You know how relaxed the gumshoes are at old Greenback. Up The surveillance at the barns is so strict that alleged strangers walked in on October 30th and drugged four horses without being nabbed. The phantom dopers remain at large, laughing. The men or women of mystery now lead the Hall of Fame two to one. Two thefts unsolved to one solved. Morris Lefty Reed, caretaker of the hall, obviously needs a stronger bench or preferably a better burglar alarm. Our burglar alarm system is so sensitive, Mr. Reed insists, that a mouse has set it off as a police officer in the 1970s. I went to my share of uh, alarms that were set off by mice, spiders, and other little critters. Lefty's not wrong there, but they're supposed to go off when the big guys go in to take the goods. Bettos writes that the lice got loose in April of 1969 and collected a nice lot of trinkets from the hall that time. The Hart Trophy, the Calder Trophy and once again the Stanley Cup. These were subsequently recovered after police stooge tipped the detectives that the uh, trophies were being used to decorate a shack in southern Etobicoke. This summer, a Stanley Cup collar was lifted. That is, one of the bands below the basin of which has the names of all the, the cup winners inscribed on it. Well, that collar was out there somewhere. It was taken. It was never returned. And uh, they have no idea. It might even be around some dog's neck somewhere. Beddoe's asked the obvious question, what would anyone do at a Stanley Cup anyhow? There would be gossip if suddenly the chalice appeared in your rec room. I suppose you could hold it for ransom on the outlandish belief that it might be exchanged for release of prisoners somewhere. I guess you might boil it down and get a fine mess of pewter worth about $48.67 at the nearest pawn shop. Beddows concludes his comments on the theft of the cup by saying I'd use it as a cuspidor for myself or maybe a bird bath in the right seasons. It's a bit of a cumbersome thing for a paperweight. Too awkward to be a door stopper and makes a pretty good albatross though for hanging around a coach's neck now the rest of the uh, hockey world was joking that with the the uh, cup being stolen maybe it was taken by the maple leafs hockey team knowing full well their chances of obtaining the stanley cup in the near future if ever again as it turned out were very very slim There are two junior players in Canada who are pretty well ranked one, two, and it doesn't matter which order you put them in uh, for the draft in June next year for the NHL. They are Guy Lafleur of the Quebec Rampart and Marcel Dion, uh, a short little guy, but a fantastic hockey player for the St. Catharines Blackhawks of the Ontario Hockey Association Junior A. Series. Well, this week during a game in which the Blackhawks defeated the first place Peterborough Peets in St. Catharines, the win for that game was incidental to a couple of records established by young Mr. Dion, the captain of the Blackhawks. Marcel scored the clinching goal in the game into an open net after Peterborough coach Roger Nielsen had pulled goalie John Garrett for an extra forward. That goal combined with the three assists he earned earlier in the evening allowed Dion to break two records held by former St. Catherine's T.P. captain Brian Cullen. In two full years in the first 21 games of this the 70-71 season Marcel Dion has scored 123 goals. He's added 170 assists in 123 games. That's a total of 293 points Three more than the old mark, which was held by Brian Cullen in a total of 169 games. The other record was well in a combined league and playoff games. Dion has 150 goals, 211 assists for 361 points, and that's too higher than the record also set by Brian Cullen. I had a nice conversation with Brian about this, actually. At Marcel Dion's restaurant uh, a little more than a year ago, uh, Brian was with me and, and former Maple Leaf goalie Ed Chadwick, and Marcel came over and uh, kind of jabbed Brian that he'd broken his goals. And Brian, Brian remembered right away and said that... Uh, the league was watered down by the time Marcel got there. Anyway, it was a really interesting conversation as the two uh, great former junior stars and NHL stars joked about one player breaking the other's record. Oh, we have another social note to uh, pass along. Red Burnett of the Toronto Stars reporting that Mr. and Mrs., bobby hall are back together mrs hall if you remember accused bobby of assault uh, on numerous occasions over the years and now she's back with bobby Uh, i happen to be very well experienced and educated uh, through my police career in the uh, issue of violence against women and i'll just say that everyone today knows exactly what was going on back then Leafs decided to look at another player out of the minors with Mike Walton out of the lineup with those uh, health issues. They called up future Ontario Provincial Police Officer Doug Brindley from Tulsa of the Central League. Doug played well in limited action uh, taking Walton's spot. He did not look at all out of place in the NHL in hockey's big league. Uh, I played with and against Doug in in several hockey tournaments. Doug was with the, uh, I believe it was the Welland Detachment of the OPP when he started. I was with the Niagara Police. And every Wednesday morning we would have scrimmages in the Welland Arena. And Doug was one of our regulars. And uh, he didn't have any trouble at all putting the puck past me. As for Walton's health, well, he, he was examined by the Maple Leafs team doctors who proclaimed that there was absolutely nothing physical Wrong that would prevent Mike from playing for the hockey club, taking his assigned place in the Maple Leafs lineup. Well, acting on their doctor's advice, or maybe the doctors were acting on the Maple Leafs instruction, the Leafs announced that they have suspended center Mike Walton indefinitely. Walton had missed the past five games after he complained of simply not feeling well. And Jim Gregory, in the press release uh, proclaiming Walton's suspension, said after a lengthy examination, we, uh, the doctors have claimed that Mike is capable of playing. Uh, we phoned him yesterday and told him to be at today's practice. And when he didn't appear, we suspended him indefinitely until further notice. Gregory elaborated by saying that Dr. Hugh Smythe and several other doctors were involved in the complete uh, examination that Walton was subjected to. The result of this, uh, Gregory said, was that they felt he was uh, capable of working and he's not working. He was told that he was expected to appear at practice. And uh, Gregory said that the team waited long enough in case he'd just been delayed by what was pretty bad weather in Toronto, but he didn't show up at all. And so Gregory said that the team can only go by the doctor's report. They have, they have an NHL club to run. And if he's not going to be there, then they're going to have to replace him. Gregory said he wasn't happy about having to suspend the player and, of course, the effect it has on the rest of the team. Now, Gregory said, and this is where it's going to get interesting. Stay tuned for the rest of this, uh, which is going to unfold over the next couple of weeks. But uh, Gregory said he talked to National Hockey League President Clarence Campbell that morning and was told that he was doing everything according to regulations. Now, don't forget that Mike Walton is represented by one R. Allen Eagleson, and he did not take the suspension well. He immediately stated that he would be appealing the suspension to the NHL president, and uh, he, he thinks he's got a good case. That's interesting because Campbell is reticent, as is seen through history, to side with anyone other than a team owner in disputes with players in the past. This situation will bear watching and we'll have more in the coming weeks. Poor Clarence Campbell doesn't have much hair on top and it's no wonder with everything that he's got to put up with. He's got his hands full trying to straighten out as well the mess that is the California Golden Seals. He and the rest of the National Hockey League Board of Governors might now be having second thoughts about allowing Charles O. Finley into their tight little fraternity given the lawsuits that now have been filed by former General Manager Frank Selke Jr. and former Vice President Bill Torrey who incidentally turned down the offer of General Manager when Selkie left the team. Both men claim that the Seals Hockey Club has not lived up to agreements made when they were originally hired, and Finley refuses to honor those agreements. Now it turns out that several of the Seals' original players from 1967, and we know Charlie Hodge is one of them, negotiated substantial amounts of deferred payments to be made to said players after the playing days were over. Finley has let it be known he won't be making any of these players agreed upon by former ownership either. I wonder if the NHL guys are still happy with that high-profile owner who puts the NHL right atop of the sports news every night. The Red Wings, for whom just about everything is going wrong this season, were dealt another severe blow early in the week when doctors discovered that their star goalie Roy Edwards has a hairline skull fracture and is going to be out of the lineup for three to four weeks, and I would wager that uh, in 2020 he would be missing for a lot longer than that. Edwards, who's 33, hit the side of his head on the goal post Sunday night when St. Louis Blues right winger Craig Cameron crashed into him while scoring what proved to be the winning goal and a 4 3 St. Louis victory over the Red Wings. Dr. John Finley said Edwards will remain in the Detroit Osteopathic Hospital for three or four days of observation. The doctor said, We want to make sure he doesn't develop any secondary signs. We don't expect any these secondary signs Roy seems to be real good now except for an uncomfortable headache Dr. Finley said Edwards will have to wear a helmet when he does return to action and to combine a helmet with the mask he already wears will likely cause some problems for the Detroit equipment man Dr. Finley said that he'd never seen as many injuries as the Red Wings have had this season Finley commented, I always thought we were pretty lucky as far as injuries were concerned. Finley said that last year the Red Wings only had one player that they had to keep overnight in the hospital. And Finley said, I guess the law of averages... Is catching up with us now. This leaves the Red Wings goaltending in fairly dire straits. They had traded away uh, Roger Crozier to Buffalo for rookie right winger Tom Webster in June, and now they're stuck with uh, a couple of youngsters themselves. Uh, Don McLeod is 24. They call him Smoky. He played 36 games at Fort Worth last season, and 21-year-old Jimmy Rutherford, the former Hamilton Red Wing junior, played 34 games there, and that is just about all the experience they have. So with two basically unproven youngsters to man the pipes and the Red Wings trying desperately to recover a disaster of a season... It looks like they're going to try and make a trade. Now, the Minneapolis Stars hockey writer Dan Stoneking was right on the right on this case right away, and he reported that uh, Detroit General Manager Sid Abel had called North Stars General Manager Ren Blair trying to make a deal for the North Stars veteran goalie Cesar Maniego. Uh, Sid Abel confirmed Detroit's interest in in Big Caesar saying that they didn't want Gump Worsley at his advanced age Gump might retire any time and Gilles Gilbert is already just a young player not proven in the NHL and the Red Wings have a couple of decent young goalies there so the Red Wings are going to try and make a deal for Caesar Maniego and we'll have to stay tuned to see whether that turns out Another Red Wings note this week, there was extra security around the team last weekend and through the week when it was learned that the Detroit Free Press newspaper had received telephone threats against Coach Ned Harkness. An unknown person had called the paper on the weekend to proclaim that he and other unidentified suspects were going to, quote, get Harkness security of course was beefed up around the team but no suspicious behavior was noted now Bruce Norris the owner of the Red Wings he might like his coach but it's obvious that Detroit fans do not near the end of the Sunday night loss to the St. Louis Blues the fans were chanting we want Gadsby we want Gadsby referring of course to the former Detroit coach who was fired by Norris after just two games last season. Toronto Maple Leafs President Stafford Smythe made a formal complaint to National Hockey League President Clarence Campbell about a syndicated newspaper column written by former Toronto general manager and present Buffalo Sabres general manager coach Punch Imlach. The column appears in the Toronto Telegram and several other uh, newspapers throughout Canada. Well, Campbell responded to the complaint by saying that he endorsed what Stafford Smythe has said and that uh, G- general manager Lack might have to uh, cease and desist making any comments that might quote embarrass other clubs and Campbell plans on telling him that. Didn't say anything in this statement about tampering simply that he doesn't like to have other teams embarrassed by another general manager of a team. Poor babies. Campbell's statement said that in view of the comments of the articles brought to my attention, I feel that the protests were completely justified. Campbell went on to say, as the general manager and coach of a team in the NHL, it is my feeling that Mr. Imlac should not comment on other general managers or coaches. That is, he should not comment in column form. If he is asked a question, he should answer it. But to comment, as he has done in column form, is clearly improper. Now, it's thought, although not really known for sure, that Scott Young, uh, the Toronto uh, writer, is is ghostwriting the columns for Punch, and that wouldn't be surprising. But if you know Imlach, you know they are his thoughts. uh said that anything I've ever put in my column is the truth and furthermore in no way have I ever hurt hockey and if the time ever comes when I might hurt hockey I would quit writing I'm not trying to make everyone happy and that includes the people who launch the objections to my writing so this is what happens Stafford Smythe's feelings are hurt because a former employee takes shots at him So Stafford runs to the president of the league and says, please go spank that bad boy for talking badly about me. And absent from this week's news so far has been some trade rumors, and we'll go over a little bit about that uh, right now. Of course, Mike Walton being out of the Maple Leafs lineup for mysterious reasons. Uh, His name keeps coming up in trades. Uh, Ed Codran of the Philadelphia Daily News believes that a deal with the Leafs could happen where Andre Lacroix goes from Philadelphia to Toronto for Walton, and Conrad claims that the Maple Leafs are interested in LaCroix he went to LaCroix and asked him how he feels about going to Toronto Andre said I'd rather go somewhere else where I'll play regularly and I'd be very happy to go to Toronto I'll go anywhere as long as they pay me Andre said I've had two hat tricks against Toronto and also a two-goal game earlier this year I guess they feel I could score some goals for them I sure score against them And it was revealed this week that Charles O. Finley made a couple of offers to the Chicago Blackhawks to acquire superstar Bobby Hull. When Finley took possession of the team when he bought them, he offered the Hawks $500,000 in exchange for Hull, was flatly rejected. He went back to Chicago owner Bill Wirtz this week and offered a cool $1 million for Hull, and Wirtz said that he wouldn't sell Hull to the California Golden Seals for $10 million. I wonder what Bobby Hull's next contract demands will be when he finds out that he's worth $10 million to Arthur Wertz. And finally in this news pack week we have some uh, word on the troubled Pittsburgh Penguins franchise looking like It's on the verge of finding new owners, and Bill Hufelder of the Pittsburgh Press had the inside story. Bill reports that Metro Media Incorporated, which owns the Ice Capades, is about to acquire... The Pittsburgh Penguins. Metromedia is listed on the New York Stock Exchange, and they are buying the franchise from the National Hockey League for the cut rate price of four point five million dollars, and they have pledged to keep the team in Pittsburgh. The sum represents the outstanding debts of the club. Donald Parsons, a financially troubled Detroit based banker, and a handful of associates who had controlled the franchise uh since December. Or until, I'm sorry, December 1st. On December 1st, the Parsons Group, which wanted $7 million for the Penguins, relinquished all rights to the club and a flurry of secretive developments began unfolding. The general partners had signed an agreement that if they didn't sell the club by December 1st, the league would take it over. And that was from an unimpeachable source in the NHL office. So now we have Metro Media, a big company bidding 4.5 million. That looks like this deal could be, uh, underway and maybe even completed with the next couple of weeks. Now, the source in the NHL said that a meeting between Metro Media and the, uh, uh, NHL offices, uh, had several key Agreements Number one, they would reduce the basic annual rental fee to take over the Penguins. And the, the league is going to work that out. They're going to give the Penguins a share in the concessions for the first time from the arena. The Pittsburgh Penguins have never had a share in concession money. They'll split it 50-50 and they'll reduce the concessionaires' take for each program from 40 to 25 percent in order to give metro media some working capital to run the hockey team i can't see the civic arena people agreeing to to these stipulations and so there may be just a long way to go before this deal actually gets done if it gets done so that's this week's show everyone uh, what do we learn in this most eventful week well we learned that security at the hockey hall of fame badly needs to be upgraded we learned that the may police are running out of patience with mike walton and it appears that his days with the team could be numbered and we found out the identity of what appears to be a likely buyer for the troubled pittsburgh penguins franchise but it's by no means a sure thing uh, next week uh uh tough tough week next week coming up we have a terrible story from british columbia where a young national hockey league player's father will be killed by police in a row over televised hockey we'll have more developments in uh, the mike walton situation in toronto and the much awaited maple leaf gardens board of directors meeting will take place and we have the story of what came out of that of course we'll have the usual big game results news and notes from around the hockey world as well The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole. I can't thank him enough for all the work he does. Andy's now in the business of producing uh, podcasts professionally. And if you want to put something together, contact me. I'll put you in contact with Andy and Andy will produce something that is uh, as good as anything there is out there. The very popular Juno-nominated Toronto indie rock group, the Royal Alberta Advantage provides our intro and exit music. And if you ever get a chance to see them perform take it in it's a great high energy show show, and their music is very good as well other musical pieces and sound effects in the podcast are from andy cole as well our research comes from files from the toronto star the toronto global mail and of course the many fine publications found at newspapers.com you can find us on twitter every day at hockey 50 years and on facebook under the 50 years ago in hockey banner we have a wordpress site at hockey 50 yearsagocom and of course this podcast is available wherever your favorite podcast can be found and on youtube thanks again to everyone who tunes in each week to our show Uh, we're having a lot of fun bringing it to you it keeps us going during this pandemic and on that note we definitely will see you next week